Hi all, this is Dennis Mann. Today is Monday, uh, June 15th, and I'm recording out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Today we're going to be looking uh, at the really, really first hours of the disappearance of Kristen Mataferi. And as I record this, it's the 15th. Well, you know, the 23rd, just eight days from now, next Tuesday, is going to mark the 23rd anniversary that Bob and Debbie Mataferi uh, been without their daughter Kristen. And one thing I want to impress upon people, the fact that you're hearing my voice, it's testament that we're not going to give up looking for Kristen. And uh, I want to remind everybody, I'm going to, I'll probably say this every podcast, the FBI says that there's better than a 96% chance that when a woman meets for foul play, she knows the assailant. So if Kristen did meet with foul play, uh, one good thing the Montefiores have going for them, Kristen was only in that Bay Area 23 days. She barely knew anybody. And the best we can guess is 35 to 50 people, give or take. You know, we're guessing at that number, but it's the best we can come up with. So there's a better than 96% chance that one of those 35 to 50 people, at the very, very least, knows something about Kristen. And uh, so this podcast is aiming to reach those 35 to 50 people and, and their social media friends, and maybe a tip will come in. But in a moment today... What I want to do, a great way to lay the foundation is I'm going to be uh, playing a rebroadcast, just the audio file of uh, the America's Most Wanted segment that uh, John Walsh did for, for Kristen. And the way that came about is uh, very, very early on, the, um, the Oakland police, they identified a suspect in a case, a guy named John Onuma. I have no problem mentioning names here. And they were trying to find him. And he's one of those people who's expert about living off the grid. There's like no social security number, no phone number, no address, no work history. They couldn't find him. And so they approached John Walsh and they asked John to do a segment. He said, of course he would. And the segment is very accurate. They did a really, really good job. Uh, the segment lasts about seven minutes. And I'm, I'm about to play it for you. Then after the seven minutes are over, I'm going to zero in on two or three aspects of that video that I want you to be aware of. And but just before I play it, I want to know Kristen's mindset. You got a 17-year-old girl in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's been the apple of her parents' eyes. She she breezed through school a year early, and she brings home one day to her parents a four-year academic scholarship to North Carolina State University. And uh, she was doing so well that when she when her peers, when her high school classmates were receiving their high school diploma, Kristen had already moved on. She had already completed her freshman year at North Carolina State. As a matter of fact, on her 18th birthday, as I said earlier, she flew from Charlotte to San Francisco. She wanted to go to the Bay Area for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, she was signing up for a couple of classes at Berkeley that would, those those credits would go towards her degree back at NC State. They already had them approved. And she had saved up her own money to take the classes. And, and she also needed to buy some camera equipment. And uh, I have to check with Mr. Montefiore, but I think it was $900 that this 17-year-old saved up and from working at um, a local restaurant, a pizza place in her hometown of Charlotte. And uh, the other thing she wanted to do for the first time in her young life, she wanted to spread her wings and just, just live life. You know, when you're 18 years old, that, that's what life is about. And when she was younger, four or five years earlier, her family had visited San Francisco. So she had those memories in her mind. She wanted to go back and experience it now that she was a young woman. And so that was the plan. So Kristen lands in Oakland 
uh, on, on June 1st, on her 18th birthday. And she hits the ground running. She found a place to live in Oakland on Jane Avenues near Lake Merritt, and I'll talk about that later. But the very first thing she starts doing, she starts going all over the place, looking, uh, filling out resumes for jobs. She wanted to get a job to pay her own way. She didn't want to have to rely on her parents. This is something that Kristen, she says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to work for it. I'm going to pay my own way. And uh, and she did. And so she walks into Spinelli's coffee shop in the, in the financial district of, of San Francisco, and she meets the manager there, a wonderful woman named uh, Bernadette Melvin. And Bernadette laughs looking back on it. You know, she, when Kristen walked in, Bernadette had no hours to offer anybody. She was fully staffed. But she said, you know, Bernadette said, you know, I was watching this young girl talk, this young woman talk to me. She was so infectious. She was honestly... Kristen reminded me of myself, Bernadette said. And uh, there was something about Kristen. She's, and, and Bernadette said to Kristen, girl, I don't have any hours for you, but I really like you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some hours. So come on, you can join us. And that was great news because Kristen got off on a great setting right out of the gate. And uh, so June 1st to June 23rd are the important days here. Because on June 24th, Remember the, the classes at Berkeley I was talking about? Where cl- summer school was about to start on June 24th. So Kristen knew she had 23 days to work, you know, her seven, eight hours a day. And then the rest of the day, she was going to be an urban tourist and hit all the hot spots around the Bay Area. But on the 23rd, she was at work one day and she said to her co-workers, uh, Alan Beauregard, and John Burkhalter, she says, guys, my, my classes start tomorrow. So between work and school, this is it for me. There's no more fun. And uh, she goes, what should I do on my last day of freedom? And they were giving her different ideas to do, but everything they mentioned, she had already done. And at the end of that conversation, she goes, well, I don't know what I'm doing. She, she asked them for directions out to Lands End Beach. And they told her, you know, you take the number eight Gary bus and it takes you straight out. You get off the very last stop. It drops you right up about a block away from the, from the water's edge. And uh, But we don't know if Kristen ever made it out to the, to the Land's End Beach that day. And I'll talk about that in a future podcast. So I'm going to bring on, uh, as I said earlier, the Oakland police. They couldn't find this John Anuma guy, the suspect. So they went to John Walsh and... Uh, I'm going to play you the seven-minute clip. And this actual video segment is on the KristenandKent.com website, so you can go watch it there. But I understand some people are in your car driving and you just want to listen. So here's the audio file. And after this seven minutes is over, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I'm going to highlight a couple segments in there. I'm going to give you a lot more detail than the actual show went into. All right, here we go. Kristen Motiferi didn't waste any time when she arrived in the Bay Area. Through the internet, she found a place to live in Oakland. Three days later, she already had a job across the bay in downtown San Francisco. Kristen worked at Spinelli's Coffee Shop at the Crocker Galleria. She called a couple of days before she disappeared to tell us what a great time she was having and how wonderful San Francisco was. And and all of a sudden, she goes to work, clocks out at 3 p.m., and that's it. We don't know what happened at that point. Desperate for answers, the Moda Ferries have traveled to San Francisco six times to try and find her. Even Kristen's brave little sister, Megan, begged for help. She came to San Francisco this summer and she never came back to to where she was staying. I didn't know where she was, so I was kind of scared to, like, um, stop people when they were on their way and, and show them this flyer. 
been too long and it's too trying and it's just something that that nobody should have to deal with. Since Kristen was first reported missing, Officer Pat Mahaney and Sergeant John Bradley of the Oakland PD have spent countless hours retracing her steps. Detectives soon discovered a very unusual fact. Kristen rarely stayed at the mall after work, but on the day she disappeared, Monday, June 23rd, something was different. At about 3.45, a co-worker glanced out the window and saw Kristen walking across the second floor landing. I thought that was kind of strange because she wasn't really one to loiter around after work. And what was even stranger was that she was in the company of a blonde-haired woman. Despite news reports, the unidentified woman has never come forward. Then there was another clue the day she disappeared. Co-workers told police Kristen asked for directions to the Sutro Baths in the Land's End area. Bloodhounds tracked Kristen's scent to this tunnel, but that's where her trail ends. The possible scenarios are hundreds, if not thousands, of scenarios of things that could have happened to her. A month into the investigation, detectives had exhausted all their leads. They were frustrated. Then a phone call to a local TV station in the Bay Area gave police their first big break in the case. Assignment editor Bill McGee spoke with a caller. He said he knew who killed Tristan Montefiore and where the body was. He gave me the names of two women. He said it was a lesbian love triangle, and they, one or both of them killed Tristan Montefiore and dumped her body out in Marin County under a wooden bridge. Kristen's body wasn't found there. Detectives quickly cleared the two women of any blame. But then the two women led police to the original caller. They worked with his girlfriend. His name, John Onuma. When police confronted Onuma, they recorded the conversation. At first, Onuma denied any knowledge of Kristen's disappearance. I am lady by the name of Kristen Motorferry. Don't know anything about it. Do you know anything about her? Nope. Yeah, let's just cut it. I got nothing to do with her. But when questioned further, Onuma finally confessed to phoning in the tip. I called and I told the guy, you phoned in the tip? Absolutely. Onuma claimed he made the call to get back at the women for mistreating his girlfriend. But police believe Onuma knows more than he's saying. Well, during the interview with Onuma, uh, some inconsistencies in his story came out. But unfortunately, we can't we can't cross that gulf between connection and culpable suspect. He, he's just not that yet, but he is connected, and we need to nail down his connection to this case. One connection may be through the personal ads in the Guardian newspaper. Detectives believe Kristen put this ad in the June 11th issue. Police discovered the newspaper in Kristen's bedroom. It appears that John is uh, a person who prowls uh, personal ads, either print personal ads, telepersonals, or internet personal ads, and, and through that prowling finds women that he can victimize through scams. Through their investigation, detectives have found a trail of women Onuma has victimized. Those women have painted a disturbing portrait of the man. One woman, who we'll call Karen, was one of his victims. She met him through the telepersonals, a voicemail service. He can manipulate you, break you down emotionally, break you down mentally. He's just a human vampire um, where he will just suck the life out of you. 
and the money. The second victim we met was Rebecca. She says Onuma found her on the internet. I was his little sex slave. She says Onuma burned her hands with cigarettes and terrorized her. I was sleep deprived, I was starved, I was beaten. But it was a story conveyed by this victim, who we'll call Debbie, that has investigators questioning Onuma's real connection to Kristen's disappearance. Onuma preyed on Debbie months after Kristen vanished. He hit me over the head with ropes and said, quote unquote, you know I'm gonna have to kill you, I can't let you go. And then he turned around and says, now you know what happened to Kristen Marbury. I backed myself up in the corner because I thought he was going to kill me. I thought he killed her. So, and I never knew nothing about Kristen. And then the police showed up to talk to John and they brought up Kristen, which scared me. Oakland police want to talk with John Onuma again, but we must emphasize he's not officially a suspect, just wanted for questioning. But detectives believe he can help solve this case. It's going on the two-year anniversary of her disappearance. It is torn apart and victimized her family. Um, it's time for Kristen to go home. But as more time goes by and Kristen isn't found, it gets harder and harder for her family to remain hopeful. I think the biggest thing I fear is that she's not going to be a part of our future. I want us to be a part of each other's lives, you know, like it was supposed to be. My mom always said a sister is forever. Just 18 years. Also, that was John Walsh on America's Most Wanted. And, and that ap episode you just listened to, it ran, I believe, in May of 1998. And I just want to point out a couple of things. Uh, they interview uh, Kristen's dad right out of, right out of the gate, and uh, he was saying that you know just a couple of days before she disappeared, she had called the house and she was very very happy with her life out there. Things were going great, and then he said that you know she went to work on Monday, and uh, she gets off at three, she clocks out, and that was the last I really see of her. Well, uh, Mr. Montefiore actually misspoke on, on June twenty third, the day she disappeared. For some reason, we don't know why, but she forgot to punch out. Now whether or not has any role in her disappearance. Uh, don't know. I have no idea. But I just want to mention that in case we find out in the future that does play some role. And then you heard the officers, uh, Officer Mahaney and Sergeant Bradley of the Oakland PD, they're talking about, when they interviewed the co-workers, they, they were actually talking about uh, Alan Beauregard and John Burkhalter, because I was able to interview them as well. And they both told me they saw Kristen with a young blonde-haired woman up on the second floor of the mall. Now, if you, most people listening to this have not been to the Crocker Galleria in downtown San Francisco. It's right out Market and Post Street in the financial district there. It's kind of like an outdoorsy mall uh, where they let, uh, there's no real uh, entrance either way. It's just this big open structure that you walk in. And Spinelli's was on the ground floor. And to see up to the second floor landing, it's just like look, looking across the street. There's like no visual impairment whatsoever. It's simple to see somebody. And especially where the cash register was, where Kristen and John and Alan would be working, just to look up at the second floor landing, nothing. And uh, they said, yeah, Kristen was walking about an hour after she got off work with a young blonde-haired woman. And the other girl just looked to be like another college student, just like one of Kristen's peers. And when I first hit San Francisco, I met with uh, retired FBI agent Graham Desvernine. He was hired by the Mataferis in, in the first uh, 
months of Kristen's disappearance. And he was telling me about this blonde-haired woman. And he, it was his opinion that it was just a coincidence that they were walking together. He says, you know, she may not have anything to do with Kristen's case, but I think it's, I think she may have, and I'll just give you my reason and let you make up your mind. Uh, malls, as you know, they make all their money on the weekends and holidays. During, during the weekdays, it's kind of slow, and, and the Cracker Galleria was no exception. I've been there at four in the afternoon on that second floor. It is empty. There's nobody there. And, you know, human nature, if you walk in, even before the coronavirus hit, if you walk into a, a building or a location with a big open space, human beings, we're not wired to just walk up to a total stranger and just start walking shoulder to shoulder. There's always that comfortable space you built in between them. So that tells me that that blonde hair woman was with Kristen. Now, if that's true, and if she had any role in Kristen's disappearance, you know for a fact that she's going to be watching the media the TV, the news, the radio reports, because Kristen was all over it in that first week. And uh, she knew that we were looking for her, and she never came forward. So either she had something to do with it, and she just kept her mouth shut, or she had nothing to do with it, and she's totally oblivious to that we were looking for her. It's one one or the other. And then the other thing I wanted to point out in that that episode, Sergeant Bradley, he says emphatically that John Onuma is involved. They just need to tie down how. That's what they were working on back in um, 1998 when this thing, you know, we're at, we're at 2020 now, so that was, you know, 22 years ago when, when he said that. And, and by the way, he's still, Onuma, I still believe is involved even 22 years later. But for me, the important thing is, okay, is Onuma involved? Does Onuma fit into that definition of that 30, uh, 96.4% of the time that the woman knows her assailant. So can I put John Onuma into that 35 to 50 pool of people? Uh, was John Onuma and Kristen, were they roommates? No. Were they boyfriend, girlfriend? No. Did they work together? No. Was Onuma a roommate, a neighbor of Kristen's in Oakland? No. We could find no way, we could find no way that they knew each other. So how can you, t- how can you put Onuma in? Well, you can't. And here's what I want you to know. Uh, I had been out in San Francisco this time about eight or nine months, and I was—I didn't know what else to do, to be honest with you. So let's just start all over again, just re-interview everybody. And Spinelli's is owned by a guy at the time named Arthur Spinelli. He had multiple locations, so he worked out of a, a corporate warehouse. So he wasn't at the location where Kristen worked. So I went over to Spinelli's, and I met with Arthur Spinelli, and uh, he was wonderful. And he goes, you can absolutely talk to all my employees. And he gave me a company letterhead that I sent to the Mata Ferries, say, please give Dennis Mann permission to speak to all the employees during their shifts. And I went back to Spinelli's. I handed it to the manager, Bernadette Melvin. She could not have been nicer. She set up a table aside for me. She gave me a free hot chocolate. I said, Dennis, hot chocolate's for free, free all day. And as the employees came in, Bernadette would have them one by one sit down with me and just tell me what they knew about Kristen. And uh, we got towards the end of the day, and I had the, the timesheet. So I that Bernadette had given me. So I had everybody's name. And as I interviewed everybody, I would just check them off, check them off, check them off. There was one guy. I got everybody. There was one guy, a guy named Kelly Strathman. uh, And he wasn't there. And I was talking to another employee. She said, oh, I know how to get a hold of Kelly. Well, he no longer works here, but you can easily find him. So I'll tell you, she goes, I'll tell you what to do, Dennis. He goes, look on the phone book. There's a guy named Matthew Luque. 
He said, Matthew and Kelly are best friends, and Matthew will tell you how to get a hold of Kelly. I'm thinking, great, no problem. So uh, sure enough, uh, she was right. Matthew K.'s phone number was in the phone book, and I still remember I put a quarter and a dime in a payphone, and uh, and uh, this was this is right when the cell phones were just getting invented. I, I was still working off a pager back then, and I call Matthew, and this is literally how the phone call goes: ring, 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 and then Matthew comes on and goes, "Hello." I said, "Hi, is Matthew there?" He goes, "Hi, this is Matthew." I said, uh, "Hey, Matt, my name is Dennis Mann," and uh, he goes, "Hi, Dennis, how can I help you?" I said, "Matt, I'm a friend of Christian, but and I didn't even get the word Montefiore out of my mouth." He goes, "Look." I got nothing to do with that. You got it. Don't you ever call me again. You got it. You got it. And then, bam, slams the phone down. I'm thinking, damn. The only reason I was calling him was to get Kelly Strapton's phone number so I can check off everybody that Kristen worked with. It was totally innocent. And for him to be so nice to me, and at the mention of Kristen Montefiore's name, gets instantly so mean and just hang up the phone. It didn't make any sense. And so... My next phone call was the Oakland PD, and I, and I told the officer that. And uh, I know they took it seriously, because about a half hour later, they called me back, and they said, hey, Dennis, uh, we can't find this guy. And they had the spelling wrong. They had an L-U-K, but Matthew's last name was uh, L-U-Q-U-E, Q. And uh, now this is told, this, we're talking like two days, like two days after this, two days after this, the Oakland PD, they raided Jill Lampo's apartment for Kristen. And remember, Onuma was living there at the time. And they, um, one of the things they got was a diary day planner from Jill. And uh, in that name of that day planner, she had written the name of Matthew Luquet. I'm like, whoa, what is that all about, right? So... This is 1998, and once I found that out, I thought, okay, this case is about to be wrapped up. I hope Kristen's alive, but if she's not, at least the Monteferries can get her back, and it's time for me to go back to North Carolina, because now the Oakland PD had a really good lead, and uh, I, I thought that was it. But, you know, not, I don't know. I'm not privy to the OPD file, so I don't know what happened. But I did speak to Jill after this. She invited me uh, into her home one day, and uh, we started talking about Matthew. And she told me that she used to date Matthew Luquet. In fact, she said, you know, Dennis, I broke up with Matthew to date John Anuma. Now, here's the thing. Matthew also worked at the same coffee shop as Kristen, but there's an asterisk here. Okay. Matthew did not start working at Spinelli's until after Kristen disappeared. It was several weeks, maybe even a month later. But here's the connection to Spinelli's. Matthew just didn't apply at Spinelli's randomly. The reason he knew about Spinelli's is because his best friend at the time, that guy Kelly Strathman, Kelly Strathman, as you know, did work alongside Kristen side by side. And I've since... Uh, not spoken with. He, Matthew, for whatever reason, Kelly won't speak to me, but he's very nice. Email all you want. He'll answer all your questions. So, And he did tell me that he was the one who told Matthew to come work at Spinelli. So there's my connection. That's how I tied John Anuma to Kristen. It was through 
Jill Lampo, she broke up with Matthew LeCue to start dating John Anuma, and Matthew LeCue worked at the same coffee shop a month later, but Matthew's best friend was Kelly Strathman. Does that make sense? So anyway, you're hearing this for the first time. You might be going, what? But I've been doing this a long time. 100%. That puts John Anuma into that pool of the 35 to 50 people Kristen could have come in contact with. And it explains that FBI stat of 96.4%. Now, going forward, we're going to look at all this in much greater, greater detail. But that's kind of the basics that I wanted you to hear. And uh, if you've got any info, you can give me a call at uh, 914-483-7214. Or you can also call uh, Sergeant uh, Bradley Young of the Oakland Police Department, Missing Persons. And I don't have the number handy. I'm, I'm going to put this on pause, and I'm going to get that number come right back. Okay, that number out in San Francisco for Sergeant Bradley Young for the Missing Persons Bureau of the Oakland PD is 510-238-3320. And uh, thanks again for your interest in Kristen Monteferi. I, it's, it's a good thing that we're looking for her. Take care. Oops, uh, before I go, I just want to make sure I don't forget to mention the website is findkristen.com. It's K-R-I-S-T-E-N. And we also have a companion Facebook group. And by all means, please join it. And it's just Facebook slash Find Kristen. All right, thanks again.